listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. It's me again. Somebody asked if we're going to have a panel of men this week. I was like, no, nah, that one lasts about four minutes, so we need a little bit more time than that. Just be like, yeah, uh-huh. A couple of grunts. Let's pray. That'd be about it. That's all we got. That's all we got. Uh, we continue this series um, happily never after, and uh, we're going to talk about family today, but I want to um, remind you of some things that we're just so, so excited about. That's December 20th. Our service day is just, you've heard about it, but we've, we've got plenty of tags left that we need you to help us out with that. It's just a day that we can all serve together. One service at nine o'clock, and then we all leave here to deliver meals and gifts, and just an awesome day we can come together as a church and, and do something and give to our community. Um, so it's a lot of fun. And then our Christmas Eve services are such a blast. We, we don't do candles and, and stuff like that, but we have a lot of fun. And it is, a, it is the place to invite family and friends who need, need to hear the gospel. And that's what we do. We're going to share the gospel. What a great Christmas gift to meet Jesus for the first time. And uh, if you've ever been here more than one time, you know you're going to hear the gospel message. And we're going to continue that this morning as well. So I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter three, Mark chapter three, beginning with verse 20 there. It's a story that you may be familiar with um, that talks a little bit about family, talks a lot about what family is not, um, but a great story from, from the gospel of Mark where he's sharing um, uh, kind of a, a personal look at what happened on this day from Mark's standpoint where several of these things are not included in other gospels. So it makes them even more potent in my opinion. So let's look at Mark chapter three, beginning with verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying it up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the morning. We're thankful for baptisms that we've already had and, and, and knowing that people went from death to life with their decisions today and then shared that publicly with, with this church. We thank you for that and we celebrate it, God. We pray that you will continue to work throughout this day. In this service, Lord, I pray as many people who are in here, there are so many of us that need to hear your word. God, I pray that you will move me out of the way. 
Allow your word to be spoken, your spirit to be felt in this place. We thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So I came across a blog, and I'm not a blog reader, but somebody put it in front of me and made me listen to them. And I listened to it, and it's it's a blog from somebody by the name of Jen Hatmaker. Lady who, got a fan? Yes, awesome. Two of us, that is so great. So great. Need to go to her blog. She's really, really good. Does a lot of great things. But a couple weeks ago, she wrote a blog. And I want to share part of it with you right now. And then when we close, I want to share the end of it. Um, It's a little hard to hear at times, but it is really, really good. It goes like this. It really can be dreadful, this Jesus life. Just dreadful. I completely agree and suffer through all the same anxiety about it. I really do. I desire about 64% of Jesus. That's about all of him and his ways I can handle. I really mean this. For every six things I like about Jesus stuff, there are four that I'm totally willing to ignore or discredit. I do it every day, you guys. I look several things in the eye and say, nope. I hover around a D minus. Take Matthew 25, for example. What a disaster. Jesus so deeply identifies himself with the prisoner and the hungry and the stranger and the naked and the poor. He says, when you consider them and their plight, imagine that it's actually me you are serving. Let me tell you something, Jesus. Low blow. I do not want to see your face in the faces of these complicated, hurting, needy people. When I see a prisoner, I want to see criminal When I see the homeless, I want to see addict. When I see a refugee, I want to see threat or at least financial drain. What I want to see, what I do not want to see is your sweet face. Why couldn't you identify with more stable people? We like you in the faces of our children and best friends, for example. We like you in our government and in our family-friendly movies. We like you in our pretty churches and gated neighborhoods. We do not want to see you in the faces of the poor. That sucks. Now you're really messing with us. You do realize what this sort of holy identification will cost and require, right? Why? Why'd you have to say all that in Matthew 25? I very much prefer Christian rules to this nonsense. And it is nonsense, Jesus. Your ways do not make any sort of conventional sense. I know we are to live this death and resurrection with you, but I only like the resurrection part. I'm serious. I want to skip the death part because it's too hard and requires way too much dying. Rules. You know we prefer rules. If we could just dress modestly and don't say the F word, can we call it a day? Isn't it easier, wouldn't it be easier just to have rules? Give me a checklist. Let me check things off. I can do that. I can live by rules. I mean... Think about how much easier it would be if we just had to read the Bible, pray, and go to church. Instead, we're supposed to read the Bible and do what it says, pray, and listen to what God says back to us. And when we go to church, we're called to respond to what happens there. That's hard. I don't want to do that. It makes it more difficult. Let me just do things. I want to be a human doing, not a human being. Just let me do things. So I'm searching and praying for the perfect scriptural family. Who are the biblical characters I want to use in this sermon to talk about family? As I prayed through it, 
Googled it, I couldn't find much. A family? You know, I thought of a family that kind of gathered his troops together and did what God said was Noah. We'd all like to do that, build our own boat, grab all the animals on earth, or two of them, of each species, build a big old boat, and just go off together, huddle together. But that doesn't really work because at the end of the story, we didn't ever do in vacation Bible school. There wasn't any flannel graphing when Noah got drunk and naked and danced around. That wasn't on the flannel graph, was it? Oh, oh, don't use that piece. <laughs> Sorry. All kind of crazy stuff in that family. And family after family, I just couldn't find one. So the family I thought about was maybe Jesus and his disciples. Them together. Non-traditional, kind of inclusive, crazy dysfunctional. We all know how jacked up the disciples were, but this morning, God said, no, that's not it either. So I was like, backspace, take that out. And I came to this conclusion that the family I think about who Jesus wants to follow is the people who Jesus says is family. Like, how do we interpret that? They're, because the ones he was talking about were dysfunctional, non-traditional, basically a jacked up group of people who were absorbing the teachings of Jesus and becoming who he wanted them to be. The thing is, the only true example of anything worth anything is Jesus. He's the only example that we have of anything that's worth following. The disciples were constantly asking him one question over and over and over in scripture. And that was, where's Jesus? Anybody seen Jesus? Where'd he go? He was just here a minute ago. Where's Jesus? And there are three answers to that question. One was, he was resting. The second one, he was praying. Or the third one, he was talking to people he shouldn't be talking to. Those were the things that Jesus was always doing. And I want to start there today of asking us that question. Are we praying? Are we resting? And are we reaching out to the people who God wants us to reach and seeing those people as Jesus sees them? So look back with me to chapter three, verse 20. Jesus entered the house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he is out of his mind. So we're introduced to Jesus' physical family. And we have a couple of different viewpoints of Jesus here. But it was like that they were named themselves in charge of him. So this, this past week, I was able to, or, or asked to, to fly up to Kansas City to help with a situation in a federal law enforcement office. They needed some mental health work in this office because things were, there were some accusations and some, some negative stuff that was going on there and wanted help sorting it out. So I go up there and, and I always thought this was kind of like, like the, in the movies and this would never happen. But I get to the airport and what is called my handler picks me up. They actually call him a handler. Get in the car, sitting there, he gets on his phone. He says, I have the package and I'm going to feed him. <laughs> I'm a package now? What is this? I was like, why do y'all talk like that? Can't you use my name? He goes, well, you never know who's listening to our phones are encrypted. I'm like, what? it's mental health. Dude, we're doing peer support. Do we really need all this secret stuff? I'm not armed. I'm not planning on taking anybody's life. I'm not an assassin. Or am I? You know, I was thinking... <laughs> It's kind of cool, so I played along with it. 
went all born with them. So, but that's what these, that's what Jesus' family kind of became his handlers. They, they're like this self-appointed handler who's going to come in and, and swoop in and take care of Jesus. They referred to him as being out of his mind. His own family, his flesh and blood, those close to him, they, they think he's mad, he's crazy. And there's a couple of things that I think led them to this. The first one is Jesus' condition. He's been traveling. You know, he's been across the lake. He's pretty tired. And they you know, it says, Mark says that they would not let him eat. This crowd was so needy and wanted him so bad and had heard of all these wonderful things that he was doing, they were all over him and they wouldn't let him eat. He was immersed in this ministry that was, and he, he was failing to take care of himself according to his handlers. You know, they were looking at like, God, it's been four hours, you know, we had, all we had was bread and fish, and that's all we always have on the boat. And that was four hours ago. You know, Jesus is, is tired. He's, he's hungry. We've got to get him out of there so we can feed him. He's, he's God. I, I think he's okay, guys. He's okay to handle himself here. But I, I thought about in our families, we get so immersed in things. At least Jesus was doing ministry. He was Jesus. He wasn't really doing bad things most of the time. He was doing what God called him to do. We, on the other hand, we might be doing good things or we get involved in our own ministries or our families and, and all these types of things. They may be positive, they may be negative, but gosh, we are so busy. And we've even missed meals from time to time. Some of us could use a missing of a meal more often than not, right? But if we get to like two or three days, that's weird. We're so busy, we're forgetting to eat. We're forgetting our kids, like, oh, where's the other one? You know, we just get focused on other things and our priorities get out of whack. And so God created us to be human beings. When we become who God wants us to be, then we can do what God calls us to do, right? We have to understand what God wants us to be before we can do what God calls us to do. And because otherwise, we're just doing what we want to do. And our priorities are so out of whack. We all have times when we get so busy. And, and I want to ask you, what are you, the priorities in your family? Whatever that may be, single moms, single dads, divorced, whatever. We're all in families. We don't get to choose them either, right? But what are your priorities? Does everything revolve around your schedule? Does everything revolve around your kid's schedule? Does everything revolve around your church schedule? Those are all positive things, but if they come into the place of what God wants us to be, then we're only doing what we want to do. Busy, busy, busy. We get so busy sometimes, and I got busy this past week, and, and, and something happened. Is I'm not sure if it was a result of my busyness, but it sure didn't help my attitude about it. The weekend after Thanksgiving, it's in the, in the fifth gospel in the New Testament is when you're supposed to put your Christmas decorations up. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's in there. It's the book of hesitations, one, three or something. And um, so I, it's that time last Saturday. So we make the, the, the long journey next door to the Wiggins tree farm and um, we can go on our golf cart or my um, mother-in-law's golf cart. We, can't afford one, but so we, we ride it over there 
Mr. Robert even asked me this time, he said, he goes, why don't you just like come through the woods in the dark and get one? I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I've been thinking about it for years because these things are expensive to throw away in a month, right? So we pick out our tree and you know, fluff it up. We're like, that's the perfect one. It was a beautiful, beautiful encounter because it only took about 10 minutes. So I loved it. So just write the check. Let's go strap that baby on top. And uh, so we, we were able to do that. We get it back. So I don't know if in your house, we, we have multiple trees and each tree, you know, has a, has a meaning, right? So we have the artificial tree that has the white and the gold theme to it. It's the one that's in the den that we get to enjoy pre-lit, but you have to add lights to it. I'm not sure if you have to do that too, because, you know, God didn't put enough lights on it to begin with. So we have to help it be brighter, you know, or whoever ties those on has to be God, because I don't know how in the world you ever get those things off. But... So we have that tree and then we have the special tree, the real one that kind of goes in another part of the house that has all of the special decorations on, right? All the gifts, all the kids, not the ones they made. There's a third tree for that one. But all the stuff that's just very precious that's in boxes wrapped in the tissue paper and the special boxes that we hang up and we get it all put up and this is Saturday and we enjoyed it on Sunday and that thing, you know, that first day it just sucks water out of it. So I fill it up with water and had it all in there good and lay in the bed Sunday night. Um, it's about 11, 15, kind of dozing off, TV's on. And I hear that sound. You know the sound? The sound of... The sound of your tree deciding it no longer wanted to stand in your house. Hardwood floors are base that holds it holds about 44 gallons of water that I had just filled up like with an outside garden hose that's so large didn't come out of that that came over too so there's like a tidal wave that comes down towards our room I'm like water I told Lisa don't go in there I think we're being robbed don't even go right I got this so I'm already a little irritated. It's Sunday. You know, Sunday is a time for pastors to be irritated. Great day to be irritated. And I was just tired and it'd been a long day. And I was like, God, really, really, could you just like clean that up for me? But he just pointed to the wet dry vac. So I went and got that and, and, and vacuumed angrily, you know, like scarring the floors because it's the floor's fault and sucking up glass and hoping, you know, the, the one from given to us from Zimbabwe, you know, that the guy died giving it to us or something. I hope that's not broken. You know, you're, it's just awful. So I do what most men do, get that thing stood back up and jam it in a corner to lean it over there till I can get back to it, right? So it's leaning in the corner. This is Sunday night, so all day Monday, no time, busy, 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 can't get back in there and fix this tree. So Tuesday, I'm thinking all day, I'm gonna get home and I'm gonna surprise Lisa. She's got a meeting, get this tree stood back up, get the lights back on there, get all the, all the decorations back on there just right. I wanna do this. So, I, so me and Jordan are there, my 12-year-old son. He's on the sofa, of course, not helping. And I'm over there, <laughs> get underneath the tree, get it stood up just right, get those four screws that jam into it, you know, really understand that either. But anyway, get them all screwed in there really good and tight. And there's one limb on here that just looks like I need to get rid of that one. So I go to cut this limb and here it comes. 
on top of me, this tree's coming down. You know, it's only about seven feet, but it felt like it was 70 feet. When you're holding the trunk, it's really hard to keep the top from coming down. I'm like, Jordan, get the tree. He like jumps over the sofa, grabs the end of it, all 84 pounds of him. And he's like, I'm saving your life, daddy. I'm saving your life. I'm like, yes, you are, son. I don't think it's going to kill me, but you go with that. And he's not letting me forget it yet. I saved your life, daddy. Can't we go to Dunkin' Donuts? You know, he's using it all the time now. So he's holding this tree. I get out from under it, just sap covered, you know, I'm like sticking to stuff and hands sticks to my face and just very angry at this point, right? Thinking, why don't we just throw it outside and we'll get the decorations off in the spring when we calm down. So I go get it stood back up a second time and it's, it, it's really, really much better this time. So I go out to get my gloves, which I should have had the first time. Go out to the garage, Jordan and I are walking back in from the garage. When I close the door, there it goes again. A third time, right? I just cut a big hole out of the side of our kitchen and threw it out in the yard. You know, just chainsawed the sucker right out of there. But, oh, so angry. We don't have that tree anymore. Now we have taken care of that tree. And if anybody wants a good deal on a good tree, that's crooked, obviously, but we get so busy and we get so caught up into things that, that we really forget about the, our priorities. And I was so busy that I, I kind of forgot about, you know, I need to get to this, I need to get to this. And I hurried through it and didn't do what I was supposed to do. And after I told it at nine, please don't do this at this service. I should have prefaced it. Don't tell me how to secure my Christmas tree. Please don't tell me that after this service because I've heard every great idea known to mankind in the last 30 minutes, right? Getting texts and emails, pictures. Go to this YouTube video. This is what I use. Shut up, I don't care, all right? <laughs> the tree is not there anymore, all right? It is laying down perfectly in my yard, all right? It will be where the bass eat in about another week when I throw it in the pond, right? So I don't need to hear that. But we get so busy. And, and we get we let our emotions do so many different things too. Because... Brandon has used this statement before, and I've got to use it today because I just think it's appropriate. Why do we allow our emotions to go so far to extremes based on how well 18 to 22-year-old men in tight pants and shoulder pads do on Saturday? Why do we, I'm talking to me too. I'm still a little upset, all right? I'm a little down, trying to bring it back up for God. A little upset, a little embarrassed. All that's going on for me too. But we worry more about that than we do about somebody's eternal salvation, I think. We get, I've never seen somebody get so upset that they want to throw something through a glass window, again, talking to me, uh, or about something that happens on a football field. And I heard this, this story that Tony Evans told one time about what would happen if, if all the stuff that's going on, the tailgating and all that's going on, and we get into the, into the stadium, and then the players come out there and they do their warm-ups, and they go out on the field, and they get ready for the first play, and they go right down here to snap the ball, and both teams walk off and sit on the bench. It's the story of our churches. It's a story of what we do as Christians a lot of times. We get so hyped up, but when it's time to really do the work, we just sit on the bench and hope somebody else is going to do it. They were also questioning Jesus because of his religious enthusiasm. He's a little enthusiastic. I mean, 
they, they thought he was mentally unbalanced, a religious fanatic. And, and if you heard your brother talking about the kingdom of heaven coming and casting out demons and healing the sick, you'd probably think a little bit strange of your brother as well. But so burdened with care, they, they went to save him from himself. They were going to arrest him, take custody of him, bring him home before he hurts himself, keep him from doing his mission. This is Jesus' family. They're people who know him best. They're closest to him. They care for Jesus. They're sympathetic to him, but they didn't believe him. John even says they were blind. So being close to Jesus does not make us part of God's family, just being close to him. Having contact with or being related to someone who has contact with Jesus does not make us a member of his family. The good news is that you don't have to have some special connection. Even those close to Jesus can be blind to who he is. It takes a vital personal relationship with Christ to be a member of his family. So we've seen this, this group of people who think they're part of Jesus' family, but they're not. Being close to him does not make us part of his family. Another group comes from verse 22. The teachers of the law who came from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. These religious scholars think he's demon-possessed. His family thought he was crazy and insane. The religious scholars and teachers think Jesus, not, he's not just nuts, he's actually evil. He comes from Satan. These top guys from down from Jerusalem, the top-notch religious leaders, the smartest people in the room, were furious with his disregard of tradition, were jealous of his popularity, were incensed at his lack of respect for them, called him a magician, said he was controlled by Satan. He was an agent of evil, empowered by Satan. His power was dark. But Jesus, he responds to these accusations. Their theory is absurd because Satan, casting out Satan would be suicide. Divided kingdoms cannot stand. History is full of examples of this and a home divided breaks apart. As the message translates this, it says, if Satan were fighting Satan, there soon wouldn't be any Satan left. The truth of the matter is that he must have greater power than Satan. It's got to be from God. You cannot rob a strong man's home unless you first incapacitate the strong man. And the strong man here is Satan. He holds humans captive and Jesus is robbing him blind because he has captured Satan. He has defeated Satan. The only possible explanation for him being able to overthrow evil is that he is God. He is greater than all evil. They claim that he was possessed by an unclean spirit and he affirms that he's possessed by the spirit of God. His response to their charge is demon possessed is extremely strong. So here Jesus brings up the subject of an eternal sin, the unpardonable sin the unforgivable sin, and that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's not a single act or some goof up, but a habitual, long-term attitude or action. You can't accidentally commit this sin. They were attributing the works of, Satan, of God to Satan. These were trained, trained people in scriptures. They were the experts and they should have known better. 
but they did not. Their religious expertise was not enough. So we often think about religious or spiritual expert. If we're one of those, that means we're part of the family of God, but it does not. We hide behind our piety sometimes and and how much we apparently know the knowledge that we have, our wisdom, but we still fail to see Jesus for who he is. Those guys definitely thought they were in God's family, but their expertise wasn't enough. Expertise is not required. So being a religious or spiritual expert doesn't make us a part of God's family. So Mark has shown us who is not in the family. Those who are close to Jesus but don't believe. Those who have, are religious experts but don't recognize the truth of who Jesus is. Now Jesus answers the question for us, who is in his family? And look at verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. So the true family of Jesus are those who do God's will. Mark, he returns to the story of Jesus' family coming to arrest him. And when the family arrives to rescue Jesus, they come in or they send somebody else in there and say, his family's out here. His mother and brother are outside. Your family's here. And I think there was an assumption that Jesus was gonna excuse himself. Sorry, guys, I need to step out here. My family's here. Let me go talk to them. But Jesus has one of the strangest responses in all of the gospel. Who are my mother and brothers? Who is my family? Obviously not them. Though physically related, they aren't truly part of my family. They're close, but not close enough. Now, at first it sounds like he's blowing them off. But Jesus isn't showing disrespect here, I don't think. Instead, he uses this interruption to address the deeper issue of what's involved in an authentic relationship with him. It's about being, not doing. You don't do the things that you want to do. You don't just do the things that I've called you to do just to do them. You need to be who I want you to be. Who are my mother and brothers? Who's really in my family? He dramatically looks around in verse 34. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. My family members are not those outside who think they're connected to me. They are those here who do God's will. So what does it mean to do God's will? How do we do that? Those not in the family were blind and hostile towards him. Those in the family are are marked by uncompromising loyalty and devotion to him. Here they're pictured as seated around Jesus. A commitment to Jesus is a radical commitment. It requires everything. Jesus didn't hesitate to call people to abandon their homes and their families in radical obedience to the good news. Sometimes following Jesus includes that. And that's hard to swallow. That's hard to comprehend. It's hard to even imagine. But first and foremost, doing God's will means responding wholeheartedly to the radical call of Jesus in your life. And if we wholeheartedly were called to what Jesus wants us to do, it would change our families. 
It would make our families exactly what God wants them to be. And that's a place of rest, a place of prayer, and a place that we are drawn to move outside of ourselves to reach the people who cannot be reached in our minds. The people who we don't wanna reach, the people that are outside of our gated communities, are outside of our nice vehicles, are outside of all the things that we want and that, that are nice to us, are outside of our church walls. I don't wanna do that. It's too hard. I don't like that part of the gospel. It requires too much of me. That's me talking. That's the selfish side of me. I would rather just do what I'm supposed to do. Give me the rule book. Let me just follow the rules. Let me just read the Bible and pray and attend the church. Don't make me do what it says. Don't make me listen to what God's saying in my prayer. Let me just pray and stop. And surely don't make me go talk to those people. So the picture is of those on the inside sitting around him. Will you commit wholeheartedly to him? What a great time of year to allow God to change your life. So going back to the blog, she closes with this. It's so hard down here, Jesus. People are so hurt and scared and abused and confused. We want to follow you, but your ways are so terrifying sometimes. Thanks for looking into our faces and seeing brothers and sisters instead of cowards and charlatans. You've always elevated our status. I guess if you can see us through miraculous eyes, then maybe we can have the capacity to look at others and see, well, you. All this is so hard, Jesus. The world is so banged up. We need you. Help us strengthen our faith. Help us trust you. Break our hearts if you must. Give us new eyes to see. You see, God is literally calling us to do less doing and do more being. Anyone can change their behavior. Anyone. I need to stop doing this or start doing this. I can do that. But it takes that long-term commitment. That long-term work of doing things over and over and over in order for it to be a transformation. Something that transforms our lives and we become who God wants us to be. That's the message I want you to hear. That's the message I know that God laid on my heart because I'm preaching straight to me. Because I would so much rather just go down the list of rules and follow the rules. Just give me the rule book. I can do that. But there's so much more to this life. There's so much more to a life with Christ. And maybe today, what you've heard is, well, you know, I, I think I follow the rules pretty good. I'm a pretty moral person. God bless you. For a good Southern term, God bless you. But according to the scripture, that's not correct. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, not through your morals, not through your Facebook page, not through your mom or your dad or your kids or your schedules, but through Jesus Christ. He is the only way 
to enter into the kingdom of God. And I pray, just pray so fervently today that we are, that we are so much more called to that than our first bowl game. Please, I plead with you. If God's calling you today, he's speaking to you right now and your heart's just thumping right now. It's just thumping so hard because you know God has called you to make that decision today. God's saying to you, let me come into your life and transform you and change you where you need to be changed. If you've been here for more than one week, you know how we do that. We don't bow our head and close our eyes. At times we do that when it's appropriate, but we like to celebrate it. Because God said very clearly, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you, confess you before my Father in heaven. He didn't say if you secretly do this in a church, I'll save you. He said, confess me before men. Because if we quietly get saved, then we just go back to the beginning of the sermon. We've not done anything. We've just done something, right? And just do that and I'll be okay. No, he wants us to become. And we do that by holding each other accountable and becoming the church that God's called us to be. So if that's something you need to do today and you need to make that decision for the first time, just stand to your feet so we can celebrate with you. Just stand right where you are. You know, God is just calling on you right now. He's saying, please let me in. Please let me in. Just stand to your feet right where you are so we can celebrate with you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? We don't have another service till six. Ah, just kidding. Well, I'm not kidding. That's true, but. So maybe today you need to take your next step. Water's here, it's warm. We actually got a heater that works. Now that I'm not doing baptisms, it's warm. What's up with that? But maybe your next step is to be baptized. Brandon and I were talking this morning and he, he made the statement to me that what a, a great outward expression of saying, I want to be a part of the family of God than being baptized. Because that's what it is. It's an outward, outward expression of that inward decision that we've made. There's nothing magic about the water. It comes out of the tap just like yours does. But there's something that's, that's truly authentic that says, I want everyone to know that I went from death to life. What a great, great opportunity. And some of you are planning to do that today and you came prepared. And some of you know that that is the next step you need to take. And thank God we have Walmart because we got anything you need to be baptized today. Top garments, undergarments, that's all I'm going to say about that. We got everything you need to be baptized. So you don't have to get anything wet that belongs to you. If you know that you spontaneously, God's calling on you and saying, I want, it, I want you to be baptized today. That's the next step you need to take. And we're calling you to do that too. So if you're planning to be baptized or you just know that God's calling you to do that today, stand to your feet if you would. Stand to your feet if you're planning to get baptized today or you just want to be. Amen. 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 So if you're getting baptized today, if you will walk out right out to the back there, 
They're gonna help you go get changed, not help you get changed, but show you where to get changed. We'll put that on the recording, holy crap. Well, it's mildly inappropriate, but they'll show you where to get changed, give you whatever you need. We're gonna stand up, I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sing a song while they're, being, while they're getting changed. And if you feel God's continuing to call on you, Walk right out there. Find somebody in a blue shirt. They'll show you where to go, okay? So stand to your feet and let's pray. God, we're thankful for the morning. We're thankful, God, for what you have done already today, how you're moving in people's lives, how you are saving people. God, it's not me. It's not this church. It's not any, anything that goes up on, a, up on the stage other than obedience. God, we, we thank you for allowing us to just see the things you've called us to do and then being obedient to it. So God, as we sing, as we praise you this morning, I pray that you continue to work in the hearts of each person here. Work in our families, God. Make us better individuals so that we can be better family members. We thank you and we love you. And it's your son's name we pray, amen.